0: Welcome to the Healthful Woman podcast, the fastest-growing podcast in women's health. Today's Monday, October 24th, 2022. I'm joined today by Dr. Naomi Foyer to talk about headaches in pregnancy. Naomi is an outstanding neurologist at Cornell and a friend of mine. She's one of my go-to people for neurologic issues during pregnancy, and headaches are the most common. So I'm sure you will find this topic interesting. Hey, for all of you listening on Apple or Spotify, I would really appreciate it if you could rate this podcast, preferably with five stars. Thanks for that. Enjoy today's podcast. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. Welcome to today's episode of Healthful Woman, a podcast designed to explore topics in women's health at all stages of life. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Fox, an OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist practicing in New York City. At Healthful Woman, I speak with leaders in the field to help you learn more about women's health, pregnancy, and wellness. Dr. Naomi Foyer. Thank How you. Are you? I'm great. Thank you for joining the podcast. This is awesome. I love it.
1: I'm so excited to be here.
0: <laughs> so we've known each other a while, personally, professionally, and then we were seated at the same table at a wedding. And I'm like, dude, why have you not been on my podcast? And you're like, why have you not invited me? And so here we are, we're together. <laughs>
1: yeah, so we finally made it happen. I'm really, really excited.
0: <laughs> this is great. Now you, you are a neurologist. You are a assistant clinical professor of neurology at Cornell uh, mm-hmm. just across a few blocks from where I am. How's that going? How are you enjoying neurology in New York City?
1: You know what? I love practicing neurology. I kind of always viewed neurology as a little bit of a puzzle. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. want to be, you know, a jack of all trades. I wanted to hyper focus on one, se- you know, organ system and, you know, try to figure out, take all the clues and try to figure out what's going on with the patient. So it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. It's interesting. It's challenging at times, but I enjoy every minute of it.
0: Yeah. You know, so I I grew up in the home of a neurologist. My dad's a neurologist. He's been on the podcast. That's right. That's right. (laughs) And it was always sort of the stereotype, which is probably true, that neurologists, ironically, are very cerebral. Like they like to think about things, like the problems are complicated, you know? (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes, yes. We like to think and overthink and analyze. So, you know, it goes well with certain personality types. At,
0: at what point in medical school did you realize that you were just, you know, a neurologist waiting to be chiseled out of that block of ice?
1: funny, you know, I think around my third year rotation when I started at neurology and I was just fascinated by the patient's presentations and the explanations for them. And, you know, linking the pathology that we could see, whether, you know, radiographically or otherwise, with the patient's clinical presentation. I remember a patient came in looking like she had a stroke and it was only a UTI. And I thought, like, how amazing is that? The things that can affect the brain, you know, from something so severe, you can have the same presentation as something so mild. So, you know, I just was really taken.
0: Well, now in your current practice, what would you say is your sort of breakdown of patients or sort of? things that you're diagnosing and treating? Are you doing more general neurology? Are you more specialized? Mm -hmm. How do you sort of, you know, maybe as a percentage, how is your day or your week broken down, would you say?
1: Absolutely. So I'm a generalist in general, and I I subspecialize in neuromuscular disorders. I did a fellowship in that at Cornell. So that's sort of my area of expertise. But I treat all sorts of Issues, including headaches. I do a lot of spine work, a lot of back pain. I work closely with neurosurgeons. People will come into my office with different clinical presentations or complaints. So, you know, they're numb or their head hurts or they feel they've lost some dexterity in their hands and they're not sure why. And it is up to us together to kind of figure it out. And the diagnostic algorithm is always very interesting and you know can sometimes and treatment options also you know at certain point medicine transitions to an art more than a science and we kind of have to come up with the best formulation to maximize and optimize the patient.
0: Yeah and would you say as as a general neurologist are most people finding you just sort of on their own meaning hey I have headaches I have neurologic symptoms, I have a condition, I'm going to find a neurologist, you know, mm-hmm. find someone at a world-class institution like Cornell and, and they find you? Or are they referred to you by another doctor, let's say, you know, a general practitioner, internist or surgeon or whoever says, hey, you know what, this problem is sort of beyond my scope. See a neurologist, see this neurologist. How, how would you say it's broken down? I'm always curious how people find us doctors.
1: Yes, it's a good question. I'd say for me, majority of my patients come in through referrals from their internists or surgeons, you know, where they have very, very detail-oriented internists. And, you know, when they go for their annual physical, the patient said, if anything happened to me this summer, you know, I had numbness in my arm for an hour, but it went away and I'm better. But, you know, we don't want to leave anything to chance and we want explanations for what goes on in our body. So I will get a lot of referrals from internal medicine doctors, whereas I think the patients themselves wouldn't have otherwise taken the initiative. And then I have patients who self-refer, you know, whether it's Google or their friends or word of mouth, you know, where they just say, I want to get in and I want to see someone because they're worried. The internet also has played a huge role in, in neurology referrals because unfortunately, you know, I get lots of patients coming in and, you know, they see a little twitch and they're worried about ALS and we live, you know, with a lot of stress and pressure and there are a lot of symptoms that can come on that are completely benign, but can be worrisome, especially to let, you know, patients about possible neurological disorders.
0: Yeah, it's it's the same problem, you know, you and I had going to medical school when you learn about all these, you know, diseases, you're like, wait a second, I'm tired. I have, yeah. like, I have like pain, my back hurts. Oh my God, like I'm dying. And uh, so now everyone has the, the glory of that because they can find it all on Google and they can, you know, self-diagnose with all these horrible conditions. It used to be limited test doctors, but now everyone has that joy in life of thinking you have something horrible.
1: Exactly, it's true. I must have diagnosed myself with God knows how many diseases. Yeah. <laughs> um, none of them actually panned out, but but yeah. And that now, unfortunately, I see people tortured. I mean, sometimes part of my, my plan is, no Google. And and I'll say I'm just like, and you gotta promise me, no Google, it will make your symptoms worse. <laughs> it they can definitely exacerbate things.
0: Yeah, you have Googleitis and you need it's to stop. Yeah, get off uh, Google. All right. It's rampant. <laughs> it's rampant and it's spreading. It's contagious. What how now since we're we're gonna talk today about headaches and pregnancy, how how often do you have the honor, privilege, and pleasure? to see pregnant folks in your practice?
1: I'd say it's about 20%. I see quite a few. Because, a lot. You know, yeah. I think, you know, we worry a lot about pregnant women, right? You know, because it's, I mean, I don't have to tell you, it's more than one life. So it's, it's, it's double the responsibility. And, you know, I think that when it comes to neurological issues, they can be very, very critical and severe sometimes during pregnancy and then very benign and it's tough to make that call it's tough to know what kind of diagnostic workup you want to do and how aggressive you want to be whether it's in treatment or imaging or you know all that because you know in general I like to think in medicine whether a patient is pregnant or not or postpartum or not less is more except for when you're really really worried.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And when the Pregnant women come to see you, again, is it predominantly people with chronic neurologic conditions who are also pregnant? Or are these women who are pregnant who have like a new symptom? Again, like like a headache <laughs> or weakness or something like that?
1: Yeah, typically, yeah, that's a good question, maybe. Typically it's the latter. Ugh. I'd say the patients who you know have seizure disorders, or myasthenia gravis, or multiple sclerosis, the pre-pregnancy counseling is outstanding, and you know we really have good protocols and good data on some things, and you know guidelines that we follow as to when to stop certain medications, when, you know what to expect for many of those chronic conditions. But it's when the patients show up with something they've never had before that, you know, everyone can get a little bit uncomfortable.
0: Right. And I would imagine that headaches is probably, if not the most common up there with one of the most common things that you're going to be seeing for pregnant I, women.
1: Absolutely. Headaches and lots of carpal tunnel syndrome, actually.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's that's it's horrible. <laughs> the poor, <laughs> but, I feel but, so bad. They come in with, they, they look like they're going rollerblading with the wrist splints and it's so much it's pain. So it's horrible. horrible
1: and painful. Yeah, but it's 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 a great diagnosis to have. I was going to say if you're walking away from a neurologist with carpal tunnel syndrome, like you you, you know. Yeah, you it's won. a win. That's a win. It's
0: a win. Yeah. It's a win. <laughs> it's a win because it's it's a you know your pregnancy is going to go away after you deliver. So it's exactly. it's 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 a win. So let's talk about headaches and pregnancy, but just sort of as a background in terms of headaches in general, right? So obviously there's going to be Overlap between headaches and pregnancy, and headaches in general. How do you think about headaches when someone comes into your office who's not pregnant? Do they come in? And they're like, "Hey, I'm healthy. I'm fine otherwise, but man, I'm having all these headaches." How do you evaluate them and sort of get them from point A to point B with a, a diagnosis?
1: When a patient comes in with a nuance at head pain that they've never had before, non-pregnant patient. So, for me personally, I tend to be very conservative. I've I always get diagnostic head imaging mm-hmm. because, you know, Nuance team, while we presume this pain syndrome, it's well-reported, it's quite prevalent, but, you know, we just wanna make sure that we're not being arrogant or missing anything or just saying, of course, you have classical migraines and we're just gonna put you on this medicine and you're gonna feel all better. I like to make sure that I'm, I have, I can define as best as possible what I'm dealing with. You know, and again, women in their 20s and 30s, which happens to be, you know, a time period when lots of women choose to have children, people will, you know, that's the time when the migraines frequently begin in lifetime. So, especially for women. So it is, it's important to target it and treat it. And there's this assumption that there's tension type headache and there's migraines. But what we've learned really is that all head pain is really a lot of it along a continuum. You know, pain is mediated by the trigeminovascular system. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether whatever is setting off the release of inflammatory mediators, whether it's causing migraine symptoms, such as, you know, half the head is pulsating and there's photosensitivity and noise sensitivity and nausea and vomiting and, you know, just complete lethargy, you know, that would be a classical migraine. But then you have people with, if you dial those symptoms down by, you know, 50% and they have a dull ache and a little bit of fatigue and a little bit of something, we could say it's tension, but we're starting to think it's all a variation on the same theme.
0: That's really interesting. I didn't realize that you are sort of nowadays blurring the lines between these types of headaches, because, you know, when you read about it and we learn about it, they always say, all right, it's either a migraine or it's a tension or it's a cluster. And, you know, this is this and this is this and this is this. And they're sort of present differently and treated differently. But you're saying there's a, yeah. actually there's a lot of overlap. It's like a Venn diagram, so to speak, with those.
1: So there's a lot of overlap and in in terms of treatment, there's a lot of overlap because patients will frequently inquire and they'll say, well, isn't that a migraine medicine? And I'll have to explain to them, you know, that we only have so many tools in our arsenal and they're all targeted, you know, to mediate head pain. And we have to sort of, you know, that goal is to make the patient comfortable and out of pain safely. So we use many of the migraine medications for tension type headaches. We don't really have treatment categories that we prefer. There are recommendations for different types, but at the end of the day, we want to use what's safe and what works.
0: Yeah. And then when you said you get imaging, what does that typically mean for someone? Again, we're talking about non-pregnant first, that usually an MRI, CAT scan, what do you do?
1: An MRI. And yeah, an MRI, of course, you know, is no radiation, it's a magnet. And you know, patients ask me that all the time. So I, I generally never get head CTs. You know, I leave the, that for the emergency room.
0: And then what, what would you find on an MRI or what could you find on an MRI that, let's say, you weren't expecting but are on the list of things you just want to make sure it isn't? You know, what, what are we talking about here?
1: No. So the primary thing is a brain tumor. Uh-huh. Um, when somebody's got a new onset headache, I want to make sure that they have no structural brain lesion. We also want to look for any kind of bleeding, any kind of bleeding aneurysm or any kind of venous malformations, you know, any entanglement of the arteries and veins. People can have clusters of little veins called, it's called cavernoma, where they'll bleed out of that and it will cause pain. And sometimes you can also see changes in, You know, radiographically, you can see changes when there's pressure intracranially high or low. Mm -hmm. And that can also play a role in head pain when there's no structural lesion, but there's pressure changes within the cranium.
0: And when you're evaluating them before this, you know, you're listening to them, getting their story, asking them questions, doing, you know, an examination, and you do the imaging, are one of these things usually something that would come as, a sort of a surprise, meaning there was nothing about their history and exam that indicated it are usually already suspicious that it's something different than a quote unquote classic head pain.
1: Yeah, typically I'll see, you know, there might be a cranial nerve abnormality such as, you know, one of the eyes are not moving in the direction that it should. We can sometimes see on eye examinations, papilledema swelling of the optic nerves patients will have, you know, positional components to their headaches. So there can be clues sometimes, you know, as to what the pathology, if there is pathology could be. Mm. But for the most part, that's highly unusual. It's really, it's really, you know, because by the time the patient is going, if the patient will have a structural lesion or a bleed that's going to cause a clinical deficit that can be notable they probably come to medical attention at some point already.
0: Ah, understood. Meaning, so I guess sort of the the takeaway point I would say is if you know, you're going neurologist and you have headaches and they, you know, they examine you and they say, you know, I think it's okay. Let's get some imaging to be sure. The overwhelming likelihood is you're going to go and get imaging. That's going to either find nothing, which is good or find something that's not so crazy. And that you're doing it just for those rare cases when there's something that's more concerning.
1: Exactly. You know, there's times where I'll find things that I, that that I wish I never looked for, mm-hmm. like a Chiari malformation, which is controversial. That's where the cerebellar tonsils are low lying in the head, and can be associated with headaches. And the only fix for that is neurosurgical intervention, and it's not a guaranteed fix. So that's a whole controversial topic. And you know, you can see certainly benign things that correlate with headache syndromes, but what I'm looking for, and and, and you know, it's always a good you know, piece of information to have in the patient's chart. But, you know, what we're looking for really are anything that could be c- progressive and, you know, path- you know, pathological or dangerous to the patient.
0: Okay. Now, let's focus now someone, you know, same situation where she's pregnant, right? She mm-hmm. comes to you, new onset headaches, didn't have it before. Is there anything about your evaluation or your maybe differential diagnosis that is different simply because she's pregnant versus non-pregnant?
1: So with pregnant women in particular, as you all know early on, there's symptoms of, you know, that's very common to get headaches, you know, low grade L headaches, and those are typically benign and will go away after the first or maybe even second trimester. I could defer to you
0: more on that. <laughs> fine. Keep going, You're doing great.
1: But I think that First of all, in a patient, I don't feel reassured when a patient comes in with headaches telling me that they had a history of migraine headaches because migraine headaches typically will improve during pregnancy. So it it doesn't make me think, oh, they're just having more of the same. It definitely raises a flag. The one headache type that is sometimes considered to stay or, you know, worsen or associated with other Pathologies is migraine with aura. Mm. So, migraine with aura can be worse during pregnancy. So, whether or not a patient has an aura, which is an event, a neurological event that precedes the headache, such as, you know, colorful lights, or, you know, it's typically a visual aura, you know, they see a rainbow of colors or flashing lights or zigzag lines. And Those auras are associated with worse auras, which is followed by a headache can be associated with worsening during pregnancy.
0: Okay. So you're seeing someone who's pregnant. Do you still recommend the same imaging typically? Are you less likely to do it or more likely to do it because she's pregnant? So
1: if the patient has never had imaging before and... We, you know, their, their headaches are particularly bothersome and, you know, not in line with the classical headaches that might be seen more commonly during pregnancy. My first line would be to probably send them to an ophthalmologist to make sure that there isn't any papilledema or swelling in their optic nerves. But I have a very low threshold for MRI. Mm -hmm. Very, very low. We always worry about things like strokes which can be caused by hypertension. And again, these things will be seen more in the later trimesters or postpartum period, you know, especially in patients with Help syndrome or, you know, other, other types of, you know, vascular issues during pregnancy. We also worry about, you know, any hemorrhage into the pituitary as it grows during pregnancy. And if, especially if a patient complains of visual symptoms, the pituitary is right near. Be optic nerve mm-hmm. so we really want to make sure that there isn't any what we call pituitary apoplexy or you know intra- intra- hemorrhage into the pituitary because of its growth during pregnancy because that will cause problems down the line
0: right and then fortunately mri like you said since it's not radiation it's just magnets it's, it is safe in pregnancy it might be slightly annoying mm-hmm. but you know no different pregnant i'm right. pregnant it's just your head going and it's not your whole belly But it's safe. It's safe for her. It's safe for the baby. So it's not a concern from our Mm -hmm. end medically to have an MRI. So that's which is yeah, which is nice that you can do that. And, you know, I think that, you know, like you said, there are some things that are possibly going to happen in a pregnant woman or more likely to happen than someone who's non. you know, things like, you know, blood clots or things like, you know, with the pituitary, as you said, or potentially even a stroke, because even though usually strokes are limited to people as they get older in pregnancy, they can happen for other reasons. And, you know, with changes in their blood and, you know, a lot of changes that sometimes there's probably red flags that go up for you, you know, in someone who's, you know, 28 years old because she's pregnant, that would really never go up, you know, at that age, you know, with that, you know, who's probably perfectly healthy. Exactly, exactly. And
1: so, yeah, I mean, really... The big warning signs for, for headache would be, you know, for something really dangerous would be fever, swelling of the optic nerve or any abnormal neurological findings on exam. Sometimes patients will report something called a thunderclap headache, which is like exactly what it sounds like, you know, a massive loud thunderclap in their head, which could be a sign of a hemorrhage. Sometimes if they say laying down, it's better or standing, it's worse. That can be a sign of fluid changes that are leaking out of somewhere. So we really want to we really want to be careful. We want to be careful with all patients who have these symptoms and especially pregnant patients with these symptoms.
0: Yeah, one of the hard things on our end is trying to figure out who to send to a neurologist cuz like you said a lot of pregnant women have headaches that are just from pregnancy and you know their nutrition changes and their sleep changes and their body changes and their stress changes and Very common to get sort of that mild headache. And, you know, it's hard for us to always know who to say, all right, you're perfectly fine, you know, it's okay, or to say, hey, try, you know, some of this medication and, you know, and who to say, oh, you need to see a neurologist sort of immediately. So I sort of, you know, we have our our ways that we do this, but what Mm -hmm. would you say, you know, for our listeners maybe who don't see me, let's say, you know, and they're they're out there and they're having headaches on and off, how should they know if their doctor should be sending them to neurologists or not for their headaches mm-hmm. when they're pregnant. And what would you say is a like, sort of a good rule of thumb? Is it everybody, or is it if you know they don't respond to Tylenol, or if they have certain symptoms, or what would what would you prefer as the neurologist?
1: As as neurologist, I would say that
0: you know everyone,
1: no. <laughs> <laughs> right? Exactly. Come on in. Yeah. We'll, we'll check you out. We'll line up the MRI. Yeah. We'll do pre, pre you know, pre-pregnancy MRI. Yeah. But. I was gonna say that I think that you know for most people you know that those, those early on dull headaches are are okay and don't need referrals. and you know I'm a big believer in the patients are they know their body mm-hmm. and they know what feels wrong and what feels right but forgetting the patient report because that can be highly variable based on so many factors if they're vomiting if they're having crazy nausea which is also a very, common findings, yeah. you know, early on in pregnancy, but you know, if they're having tremendous nausea and vomiting with head pain, that's uncharacteristically worse than the typical pain you're going to see. If they're having any blurred vision or vision changes, if there's a postural component to it, whereas when I say postural component, they feel better lying down versus standing up if they've developed high blood pressure during their pregnancy. I would say those would all be good reasons to see an urologist.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's tough and sort of in practice, you know, it's very common and we try to reassure women that, you know, it's common, it's probably fine, you probably get better. But obviously, not all of them, that's the case. And to try to sort of weed out, you know, who, you know, or triage who should go and who shouldn't. I mean, typically, you know, for me, if it's something that's mild, occasional, and gets better with Tylenol, that tends to be something I'm going to Wait on. Obviously, if there's something really unusual, other symptoms, like you said, I'm going to send them to a neurologist immediately. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think the tougher cases are sort of like what you're saying. Someone is having pretty bad overall symptoms in the first trimester, a lot of nausea, a lot of vomiting, a lot of weakness, and they have a lot of headaches at the same time. It's probably all the same thing. It's probably yeah. all related, just a little more severe. And so probably those are the ones who I'll Hold off a little bit longer on sending to a neurologist, even though their headaches are a little bit worse than typical. And sometimes it's, you know, you're clued in like, hey, when you, if you have those moments when your nausea is better, you know, maybe you took a medicine and your nausea is a little better for six hours or eight hours, or, you know, are your headaches better at the same time? And if the answer is yes, then probably it's just that. But those I would say in, in my practice tend to be the, the toughest sort of situations to figure out, you know, is this really bad headache, something I should send to a neurologist or it's just sort of a worse case of the typical headache that women have, like like nausea is worse.
1: Absolutely. So it's hard for you guys, especially to gauge, you know, I think especially in somebody who has, you know, I, I don't think it should be determined based on their headache history. I think that ironically, like I was saying, women with migraines tend to their migraines typically improve during pregnancy. So especially if it's a migrainous type headache, as opposed to that low grain, dull, just my head hurts a little bit, but I can function through this just fine. If it's a more dramatic event or a spell, we, should, we could say, then, you know, I would definitely make the referral. But again, I'm sure I couldn't. what percentage of women largely going to have headaches, a large percentage, and it's going to be fine.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and ultimately, sort of the the risk is low in sending someone to a neurologist. I mean, sort of, you know, you're going to get a good evaluation, a good history. Someone is an expert in headaches. You know, maybe they'll order an MRI, maybe they won't, but it's it's safe. It's not dangerous. You know, worst case scenario, it's, you know, it's, it's annoying, whatever, you have to schedule it. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, you know, assuming it just ends up being just the pain of it and trying to figure out the pain and treating it, at least you have, a, you know, an expert on board, clearly you're going to be much more adept at, you know, treating headaches than I would be. And so if it's something that's not really getting better with really simple measures, even if I know it's not, you know, life threatening, I'm going to want a neurologist to help anyways, because you're going to be better at it than I am just on the treatment end. So I think it it all ends up, you know, in the same place anyways. And You know, if you get referred to a neurologist because the headaches, A, it does not mean there's a big problem and B, okay, go like, great. You know, they're going to be really hopeful, hopefully.
1: And it's just another set of eyes. It's another evaluation. It's someone else, you know, thinking of different, you know, differential diagnoses of what this could be and how to, you know, help someone safely navigate their pregnancy. I think, you know, it's so individualized also per the patient, you know, how many you know, what number of pregnancy this is and how anxious they are. And, you know, that can play a large role as well. So the evaluation certainly isn't gonna hurt them.
0: Yeah. How do you go about treating headaches during pregnancy? So let's assume mm-hmm. you've done, you know, either your evaluation by physical and, you know, history, or you got an MRI and you're confident it's not any of those, you know, sort of bad things. And you're just mm-hmm. talking, you know, straight up headaches. How do you, what is sort of your progression of treatment for someone in pregnancy?
1: So most of the headache medications are pretty much not considered safe, which is a problem. Obviously, Tylenol is a no-brainer. upon pun intended.
0: Um, <laughs> the neurologists must love to say that.
1: Yeah, yeah it, 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 it goes it goes with the nerdy uh, you know type we have. But exactly, it's you know typically there are certain medications like propanolol is considered safer, magnesium is considered safer, oq 10 is considered safer. Some of the SNRIs or tricyclics have some moderate safety, but in general, I try and we we can Reglan or any of the anti-nausea medications, which are commonly used, Reglan and Zofran. Those are considered safe, and Benadryl can sometimes take an edge off as well, also just because of its sedating qualities. But some of the calcium channel blockers can be used as well. But to be honest with you, I typically try to start with Tylenol and then doing a lot of sort of cognitive behavioral work mm. to modify the pain and to manage the pain because there's so many question marks among some of our best headache medications and some of them are absolutely contraindicated.
0: Is I'm you know find caffeine to be helpful?
1: Caffeine, no, because my patients rebound from it. Mm. So oh. if they have one bad headache, go for it. The cup of coffee and the Tylenol will be great. Mm -hmm. Some of it could be dehydration, you know, hydrate, rest. There's, you know, lots of reasons, but I find that if the patient's having, you know, so that would be for a one-time headache or, you know, they just got this really bad headache or if they got three bad headaches, but if they're having daily headaches, I would veer away from caffeine because it can, you know, cause a secondary headache syndrome of, you know, rebound.
0: Mm. Oh, interesting. Okay. Because I find sometimes pregnant women are before pregnancy or having caffeine every day. And then mm-hmm. they got pregnant and someone told them not to have caffeine every day. That's, I don't tell them that, but, you know, to Google that right. or something. And then they're like, man, I get headaches all the time. I'm like, well, did you used to be caffeinated and now you're not? They're like, yeah. I was like, well, have your cup of coffee a day and see if that, you know, changes your life. And so, yeah. Something's like, yeah, I'm back. I'm better, you know.
1: And for something like that, I think so. But I would... That the withdrawal from caffeine to go away after a month or so, you know, that they would re-equilibrate. You
0: know, have a month or so. Back. They. I find out after a day. So. Right.
1: <laughs> What's going on? Yeah, I would definitely, I would definitely serve a cappuccino after that as well, but or recommend one, prescribe one, but. Yeah. But yeah, I think that, you know, at a certain after a certain point in time if you've been without caffeine, I wouldn't want to reintroduce it, but certainly if it's in close proximity to when they were having their daily cup, which, you know, you guys are all okay with as far as I know.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, it's interesting with the a lot of the medications, you know, there's definitely hesitation to use them, but there is, you know, it's I, I think that we tend to be more I don't know, I guess liberal and allowing them than you guys are. I mean, you know, triptans, yeah. we, you know, which are used for migraines, you know, all right, if you can avoid in the first trimester, maybe, but it's not like they're known to be harmful. And, you know, sometimes we're okay with those. And people say, you know, I've been getting these, you know, Botox injections in my, you know, scalp and my neck. I'm like, I'm fine with that. And it's, you know, sometimes people aren't. And I think it's, it's one of the reasons it's nice in these situations if the obstetrician and the neurologist know each other that they can talk, you know, and say, all right, listen, I think this is the thing that's going to work. What do you think about this? And then we can figure it out and talk to a patient like, you know, how much risk really is there and we can sort of decide, you know, as a team what's going to happen and what we should do.
1: Yeah. And I, I agree. The multidisciplinary approach is probably the best one because, you know, we know headaches, but we don't know, you know obviously OBGYN like you guys do. And like I said, you guys could determine in terms of there's a lot of gray in terms of safety. Yeah. And we you know, we want it, but you know, to have a miserable pregnant patient isn't healthy either. So you really want to sort of collaborate together because the guidelines are very wishy washy. They yeah. they really are. So if I have a patient who's been getting Botox for years and years and years, and that's been controlling their headaches, and then they stopped it for pregnancy, I mean, it's very reasonable that their headaches are back. And, you know, most obstetricians have been okay with it, even though the guidelines are not clear. And some of the patients are just like, I can't live like this. It's funny. I actually had one obstetrician who said, my pregnant women are the most underserved patient population because everybody is afraid to do anything with them. Yeah. And I think that it's important to like, keep that in mind. I remember I never forgot it because they deserve treatment, you know?
0: Yeah, it's, it's totally true. And the fear that a lot of people have to treat pregnant women is, is understandable because they're frequently venturing into, you know, sort of a world that they don't have a lot of experience in and are worried and the stakes are very high, obviously. And, Everyone's worried about the baby and, and that's all true and it's legitimate and it, you know, needs to be understood and cared about. But on the other hand, you also have this, this pregnant woman here who's suffering from something and needs to be treated. And we have to sort of come together and figure that all out. And I think that with good interdisciplinary or multidisciplinary care that mm-hmm. can be achieved, because frequently what happens is there's just a lot of people saying, oh, you can't do this. And someone says, you can do this. And I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do? One doctor said yes, and one doctor said no. And that's very exactly. confusing. And all it usually takes is a conversation between the two and they'll sort it out, especially if it's someone who does see pregnant women in their practice. The more, you know, sort of experience, uh, mm-hmm. whether it's, it doesn't have to be neurologist, any other special, you know specialist has in seeing pregnant women, the more sort of comfortable they're going to be and the more experience they're going to have with what things are and aren't gray versus black and white. And that's that's hard. It takes a lot of experience to sort of get through that.
1: Yes, 100%. And I think that, you know, it's just important to note, I mean, the pregnant patient is a patient. They need to be treated and, you know, they need to be taken care of. And of course, the baby the baby's safety and well-being has to be of paramount importance, but, you know, they don't have to be mutually exclusive. And, you know, there's sort of this old conception I find that, you know, do nothing, do nothing, do nothing, you know, just suffer through it. And especially for my patients with headaches, it's not good. It's not good to be in chronic pain. It's not good to be vomiting. I've seen patients with vitamin deficiencies from vomiting from headaches that have caused you know, numbness, tingling, you know, and other things, especially vitamin B1. I've some deficiencies of thiamine from vomiting, and that can cause, you know, a lot of complications, neuromuscular complications. So we really need to make sure that we have things under control because the patient has to stay healthy in order to continue and have a healthy baby.
0: I, I could not have said it better myself. That's perfect. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking about headaches in general, and headaches of pregnancy, again, very, very common, usually benign and usually treatable, but needs to be evaluated, particularly if they're severe or if they're recurring or if there's other symptoms. But fortunately, again, for most people and certainly for most pregnant women, they should be okay with a proper evaluation and treatment absolutely i find folks like you naomi thank you so much okay. for for being there for being around and for coming on the podcast to talk about it my
1: pleasure thank you so much for having me
0: thank you for listening to the healthful woman podcast to learn more about our podcast please visit our website at www.healthfulwoman.com that's h-e-a-l-t-h-f-u-l-w-o-m-a-n.com if you have any questions about this podcast or any other topic you would like us to address please feel free to email us at hw at healthfulwoman.com. Have a great day. The information discussed in Healthful Woman is intended for educational uses only. It does not replace medical care from your physician. Healthful Woman is meant to expand your knowledge of women's health and does not replace ongoing care from your regular physician or gynecologist. We encourage you to speak with your doctor about specific diagnoses and treatment options for an effective treatment plan.